welcome to another exciting podcast from Living Faith Church. It's our hope and prayer that today's message will bring you closer and deeper to the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Dean Hackett. You ready for the word? We're going to jump into the word and uh, see what God has for us today. Father, I thank you for the privilege of preaching your word. Lord, your word is spirit and it is life. You promised that your word would be living and powerful, and it is, Lord. So I humble myself to you and I pray, Holy Spirit, empower me to speak the word of God today. Holy Spirit, enlighten the eyes. Holy Spirit, give revelation to the hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would cause these next few minutes that the word would be life transforming for many, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Can I hear an amen? Amen. 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 WorldNet Daily reported October 25th that a court in Scotland was hearing a case regarding the definition of, quote, woman, unquote. The question before the court was whether the definition of woman includes a man who identifies as a woman. Now, Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines woman as, quote, an adult female person. But it also includes in its definition that woman may refer to females of all ages, especially when it is in the plural form, women. And so the task before the court in Scotland is to determine if a, quote, woman, unquote, must now include a human being that does not have two X chromosomes, does not have a vagina, does not ovulate, does not produce eggs for fertilization, does not have a womb to carry a child, and does not have breasts capable of nursing a child. This literally begs the question, by what stretch of the imagination could that person be woman? But Planned Parenthood's website, Forbes magazine, Psychology Today magazine, and multiple other magazines have published articles loudly declaring that a person's biological sex is not what defines their sexuality. The article spouts junk science that explains away the confusion of such a limited view of human sexuality. Great cultural pressure is upon us to begin embracing this new, quote, scientific discovery. And it's moving from what they had espoused that we be tolerant, that we be understanding, to now we must believe and embrace this new scientific belief 
this new definition of human sexuality. And if not, then we are called hate mongers, and we may even lose our career if we don't embrace this, this new belief system. But you got to understand that it's not just in declaring a new human sexuality that our culture is embracing really faulty reasoning. The defining of when human life begins has been based upon similar faulty reasoning. In 1973, when Roe v. Wade was presented to the United States Supreme Court, the argument was based upon some very interestingly manipulated scientific evidence that the physical being in the womb was not human life, it was fetal tissue. And because it was not human life, but fetal tissue, then it had no constitutional protection and no constitutional rights. It was the protection of the rights and uh, of the mother that had to be considered because life began at physical birth. What was in the womb was fetal tissue, not human life. Human life began at physical birth. January 22nd, 2019, the uh, New York State passed a new law regarding abortion. Using the same reasoning, they now said that as long as it was still in the womb, the child could be taken up to the time of birth because that was not a human being. See, dear ones, here's where we're at. When a culture begins saying that truth is relative, then a lie can begin being truth and truth a lie. When a culture embraces truth is relative, then truth can become a lie and lie become truth. And it's a really slippery slope that truth moves to deception, deception to distortion, distortion to delusion. And it works, it works like this, okay? In, in, in the American culture, when we moved from enlightenment to relativism and to postmodernism and postmodernism to 
post-Christian, and now we're from post-Christian becoming anti-Christian. That slippery slope, and it goes like this, okay? So relativism was the lie. Truth is relative. That was the lie. But then it went to morality is relative, and we became a sexualized culture. That was deception. And it moved from morality is relative, sexualized culture, to homosexuality and transgenderism. That's the distortion. But now it's moved from distortion to gender dysphoria and human sexuality is determined by one's emotions and what they identify as because that's how I feel emotionally. That's the delusion. And look, look, look where it's gone to. This, this delusion has stepped out of just human sexuality to we have people that are Caucasian that are identifying that they're black. We've had several professors across the nation that have lost their employment recently because in their application they identified they were Hispanic, but they were Caucasian, they were Native American, but they were Caucasian. They were black, but they were Caucasian. But don't you see, if we're embracing this kind of relativity and this kind of delusion, human sexuality, then why, why is it not that a person who's white can, because by what stretch of the imagination can they identify that they are Latino or they are African American or they are Native American. But see, we that's the great danger we've moved into. Because our culture now, for the better part of 50 years, has been espousing truth is relative. Truth is what you feel it to be for you. Morality is what Morality is to you, but it may be different to this person. There's no absolute truth, and so we've slid in to this great vacuum. But watch. There's an even greater danger. When that distortion and that delusion is embraced by the Christian church in a culture... And they no longer receive the love of the truth, but they begin embracing the lie and teaching the lie. Now the danger has reached exponential proportion because when that takes place, then where does the culture go for truth and hope and salvation? And that's what, that's what Jude, the brother of James and the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, wrote about in his book, Jude, verse 3. And I'm going to ask you to read it with me together, would you please? Everyone aloud? 
beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Keep that right up there for me, would you please? Now, look what he's saying. Judah's saying, look, I've noticed that there, there has come into the church some teachers who are distorting the truth and they're beginning to teach deception and lies. And he said, don't you understand? God, by his own divine sovereign will, has chosen for the church to be the receptacle and the guardian of the faith. And that is the source of truth for mankind. But there are coming in among you teachers that are teaching the lie. And Jude was seeing the great danger that when that happens, when, when that which is the guardian of truth, when that begins to embrace the lie and they no longer love the truth, the culture has no hope and the culture has no salvation. Now we see this historically. For a few hundred years, there was this era of history that was known as the Dark Ages. Now, about 30 to 50 years ago, it began being taught as the Middle Ages. And there was a reason that they wanted to change that moniker. And the reason was what caused it to be identified as the Dark Ages in the first place. Here's what happened. The Holy Scripture and the truth went behind the walls of the monasteries. The Bible and all preaching and church services were only done in the holy language, Latin. And so you maybe lived in Germany or France or, or you know, somewhere else that didn't speak Latin, but the only Bible and the only sermons that you heard were in Latin, but you didn't speak Latin. You talk about an era of nunners and dunners. Why wouldn't that be an era of nunners and dunners? Why would you go and spend a whole hour listening to something you couldn't understand at all? And it was against the law. They were, there were laws at that time that prohibited the publishing of the Bible in the common language of the people. And it was against the law. If you got some copies of it, you could not disperse them. You couldn't sell them. You couldn't hand them out. It was against the law. And people were literally executed for publishing the Holy Bible in the language of the common people. And what happened? You had all education behind the wall of the, of the monasteries 
So all education, all teaching was behind the walls. It was kept from the public. The public were illiterate. They were not only illiterate of natural things, they were illiterate of the Holy Scripture. Truth was literally unplugged from the culture, and the culture was floundering. And so they began to believe lies. The light of the gospel, the light of truth, literally went out in Eastern and Western Europe. And that's why it was called the Dark Ages. Of course, the light turned back on through the Reformation. Great men of God that literally sacrificed their lives began publishing the Bible in the common language of the people, began preaching it in the common language of the people, and the light began to turn back on. Because what happens? What happens? Jesus said this. He said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But see, when, when that truth that brings freedom is kept from the people, when that truth that sets people free becomes distorted, and we're literally seeing that happen right now in our culture, inside Christian churches, there, there is a movement among Christian churches that are no longer preaching the true gospel. They're no longer preaching true morality. You see, the truth is this, that our, our nation's morality that we have is rooted in immorality. Our, our culture's morality is rooted in immorality. We are calling Good, evil, and evil, good. And the reason that, that that is happening is because we don't follow God's principles of morality. And, and he said that, that the sexual relationship is beautiful, it's sacred, it's even holy. Scripture even says it's holy. But inside the context of marriage covenant... And when it's outside of that, then things happen like unwanted pregnancies. And when an unwanted pregnancy takes place with a couple that have no intention of, of that kind of situation, then panic sets in, anxiety sets in, fear sets in. And with that, the enemy has a gateway to begin sowing lies and deception. And the whole thought is to resolve this unwanted disastrous situation and no thought is given to the fact that what is in my womb is life pre-born life it is a human life that is not there the whole thing is and so that then gives rise to what murder of the pre-born based on deception God says let us make man in our own image. Male and female, he created them. Male, that was God's design. God created them, male and female. That was God's design. Still God's design. 
But when there's a broken spirit, when there's damaged emotions, that opens gateways to the powers of darkness, and the enemy comes in and begins sowing lies and deception in the thoughts and in the emotions of that one whose spirit is broken and emotions have been damaged and, and, and begins sowing lies of, of distorted self-image. And in, in sowing those lies of distorted self-image, they become confused about their human sexuality and it's based on a lie. It's based on distortion. Oh, I, I know junk science says it's that, that, that they were born that way, that it's not a choice. But I'm telling you, it's, it is just exactly the opposite. It is the enemy sowing lies in deception. And so what we have then is we have a culture that because it has embraced relativity of truth, because it has begun teaching lies and deception and distortion in place of truth, then we have a whole culture that is based upon that which God says he hates and that which God calls an abomination. Look at me at Proverbs chapter 6. Let's read it together. Okay, out loud with me, please. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. I mean, you read that and you go, well, that was the New York Times this morning. That was the Washington Post. In, in fact, that's about everything you hear. The, the, the things that God just said he hates and is an abomination. And so how could we possibly, this culture cannot bring true freedom and liberty and hope to its people because it's based entirely upon fabrication. The only thing that's going to bring hope and freedom to this culture and to this generation is the truth of Almighty God's word. That is the only hope. Dear ones, we, we must not follow the pattern of the church right now across this nation because the pattern of the church right now across this nation is they're beginning to embrace the Jezebel spirit, the same spirit that has a hold of the culture that causes this to be a sexualized culture and causes this culture to murder its preborn children. That is the Jezebel spirit. And we must not embrace the lies and the deceptions that, that the culture is teaching because we will become lost in the same fabric of hopelessness and we will not find true salvation because it is God's word. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what is the truth? You ready for this? Tell your neighbor and say, get ready, because here's the really hopeful part of this message. Just tell your neighbor that. This is the really hopeful part of this message. Okay, get ready. So I want to tell you, I don't know what it was like for you, but before I came to Jesus, I was in a pretty hopeless situation. 
you've heard me tell you before, my, one of my seventh grade teachers stood me up in front of the class and said, don't be like him, he's going to be in prison by the time he's 21. And there was good reason. When I, first started, when I first started going to church, all the moms said to their daughters, you can't sit with him. There was, there was, there was good reason. Okay, thank you, Lord. That wasn't the end of the story. Aren't you glad? That's not the end of the story. What I just shared with you is not the end of the story. Because church, listen. We must embrace this statement. Hear it closely. Your past and your present circumstances do not have to determine your future and your identity. Read it with me, would you? Your past or your present circumstances do not, say that again, do not have to determine your future or your identity. Why not? Because we have the truth, and the truth sets us free. So no matter where you've been in the past, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what you're doing right now, that doesn't have to determine your future nor your identity. The Lord Jesus Christ does that. But we, we, must, we must stand boldly, church family. Listen, we've got to stand boldly among the remnant that is standing for the truth of God's word and for authentic Holy Spirit revival. Living Faith Church, we have got to make that our passion and our ambition. We are going to be a part of the remnant that brings the revival to this generation, that sets this generation free and turns the culture of America from slipping down into this horrible vacuum of delusion. And we are going to bring the truth that will set people free, whether it is an addiction that has them in prison, whether it is bitterness that has them in prison, whether it is a broken spirit that has them in prison, whether it is alcoholism or drug addiction, whatever is sexualism, whatever is binding them, we have the hope that will set them free. Amen? Amen. Come on, give Jesus a praise. Come on, hallelujah. Let me wrap this up with just a couple of real quick points. The first truth that Scripture tells us is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. There's not one human being born on planet Earth that is born without sin in their heart. Oh, just a real simple way of, of identifying that, okay? It's this. So if you leave a child to themselves and you don't teach them to not be selfish and you don't teach them to tell the truth and you don't teach them to be obedient, what will you have? Someone says, not welcome in my living room. Why? Because we don't have to teach children to lie we don't have to teach them to steal. We don't have to teach them to be selfish. We don't have to teach them those things. Those things come naturally to the human heart 
Unfortunately, we have too many adults that haven't worked on that area of their heart yet. And so we've got the culture that we have. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And a responsible parent recognizes, I have to train and discipline my child. Amen? Yeah. Teach them to share. Teach them to be truthful. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that funny? But it doesn't really help a whole lot for a parent to sit on the other side of the room drinking beer and say to the kid, now don't you touch alcohol. What are you modeling for them? You better tell me the truth. But they, but, but the other, when they answered the phone from the other day, they said, oh, tell them I'm not here. Tell them I'm not here. And yet you're t- telling that child to tell the truth, but you're wanting them to lie for you. What, are you tracking with me? See, all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. And the scripture says this, that the wages of sin is death. The result of sin is always death. No matter how small the sin is that you commit, it brings a measure of death into your life. It's funny. We do these little things like, well, it's just a little white lie. Well, first of all, that in itself is a lie. Because lies aren't white and lies aren't little. Anybody remember the saying that I heard as a kid growing up? Oh, what a wicked web we weave when we first practice. Oh, yeah, see, we know it. And yet we tell little white lies as as if we're going to get away with it. Are you kidding me? Because what happens, that little white lie brings death to your integrity. See, sin always brings death. But we have this hope. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, became a human being for one specific purpose, to redeem us from sin. And when he went to the cross, as he was hanging on the cross, the scripture makes it very clear that God laid on him the iniquity of us all. It says in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, he took your sin, he took my sin, he took the sin of every human being that would ever live on the cross with him, and he bore that sin. And to bear that sin, he died in your place so you don't have to die. And then he was buried in a borrowed grave. He only needed it for three days. He was going to give it back. He borrowed a grave for three days. And he took your sin and he buried it in the grave with him to live no more. And then he walked out of that grave the third day to give you new life. And now Almighty God says this. This is the covenant I'll make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my law in their heart, on their minds will I write them, and their sin and iniquity I will remember no more. The Lord Jesus Christ literally makes it possible for you to have your past completely wiped out, never to be remembered by Almighty God again. Neighbors and friends may remember. I remember I used to have some cousins that come and say, Hey, Doc, remember when we do da 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 da? And I go, I've never done that. They go, Oh, yeah, don't you remember? We did it together. We did it. No, no, no. You got the wrong Doc. He doesn't live anymore. He died on the cross and was buried with Jesus. This is the new Doc. I've never done that. 
how can you say that? Because I rose to new life in Jesus Christ. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things are become new. That's the hope for our culture. See, we just got to get truth right back into it. And the truth is, yeah, there is an absolute truth. Yes, there is an absolute moral truth. But part of that absolute moral truth is we be sinners. But another part of that absolute truth is Jesus Christ redeems us from our sin. And when he redeems us from our sin, we're no longer a sinner. We're a saint. Isn't that cool? You've always wondered what a saint looked like? Well, look around the room. There's a whole lot of them here in the room. Well, how can you say you're a saint? Because Scripture says anyone that's been born again and is a new creation in Jesus, Pastor Aaron, we're saints. Isn't that awesome? Are we perfect? Legally, we are before God. God says we're holy. We can't be any more holy than we are in Jesus because he's forgiven everything and he's put the righteousness of God into our account. Come on, amen? amen. Now, daily... Our attitude and our behavior is getting there. <laughs> Boy, you look really sad for a second. <laughs> Come on. Daily, our attitude and our behavior is getting to what God said we are legally. Come on, amen? amen. In other words, we've got to daily learn how to walk in those things that God said. But this is the hope for our culture. This is our hope. Would you stand with me, please? Make no mistake of it, dear ones. We're in a spiritual war here in America. We're in a spiritual war. We're in a spiritual war. All this stuff that's going on in our streets, we're in a spiritual war. That's just sinful behavior going on out there. That's just sinful behavior going on out there. And I'm going to tell you, politics can't cure all that. Politics can't cure all that. We want, to, we, we want to change our racial issues. The only thing that's going to change our racial issues is people getting a new heart. Because racial issues is first and foremost sin. See, long before white men ever came to North America, Indians enslaved other tribes of Indians. There was racial hatred between other tribes of Native Americans. It was a sinful heart. It was a sinful heart. Long before, long before the white man began bringing black slaves to the shores of North America, in Africa, there was hatred and slavery between tribes, and it was black people selling black people into slavery. Why? Because it's a sinful issue. It's a sin issue. It's a sin issue. Greed and corruption theft and stealing. It's a sin issue. What will heal America is when we once again have the truth being preached in the pulpits and we once again have a spiritual awakening. That is what will change America. That is what will heal our streets. That is what will heal our nation. We need Jesus to heal our heart. Come on, amen. amen. There's some in this room right now. You need Jesus to heal your heart. You're struggling with bitterness. You're struggling with anxiety. 
you're struggling with depression, you're struggling with anger, you're struggling with addictions, you're struggling with sexual issues, you need Jesus to heal and forgive you. You need Jesus to heal and forgive you. Here's the beautiful thing. He is more ready than you are right now for you to come to him. Now, when I just said that, there were some in this room that said, oh, I've, I've, I've done that, and I don't know if Jesus could receive it. I'm telling you right now, he means it when he said that if you come unto me, I will in no way turn you out. He meant it when he said that. Come on, it doesn't matter how many times you've, you've, you've come to Jesus and tried and walked away. I, I, I actually told my pastor one, one, one time, when, when I, this was in the early couple of years when I was a Christian, I said, you probably need to just put a saddle on the altar and tie me to it. Because <laughs> I'd get saved, and the next time a big band came to town, like Paul Revere and the Raiders, or the Whalers, or the Sonics, I would be at the Coliseum, and I'd be down there, and that's not going to end well morally. I, it's, just, it's just where I was at. I had to get totally set free. But I won't tell you. Sanders Camp, Idaho. July 3rd, 1964, Jesus transformed my life. And then just a couple of years later, at that same altar, that same camp, I said, Jesus, take it all. Take it all. Take it all, Jesus. And he dealt with a lot of deeper stuff and began setting me free. And from that point on, I didn't go back. I kept going forward. Come on, amen. You ready? This altar's open right now. I need, I need our deacons and their wives. I need the pastoral staff and their wives to come. People are going to come for prayer. You say, I got Jesus. I need you to forgive me. Jesus, I need you to come into my life. Jesus, I need you to set me free. Jesus, I need you to heal my damaged emotions. Jesus, come. Come on. Come on. Come forward for prayer right now. Stella's going to lead us in music. You come quickly. Let, let Jesus transform your life today. Come on. Don't wait another moment. You step out and come forward for prayer. Don't wait another moment. Don't wait another moment. Hallelujah. Jesus is here. <laughs>